Good morning, everybody. How are you this morning? Good. It is a great pleasure to be with you this morning. My name is Sid Coop. My wife and I, we attend uh, the South Campus of, of Willow Park. And uh, every once in a while, I get the chance to come here. And this morning is obviously one of those, one of those moments. Uh, it's so good uh, hearing the news about what's happening um, at camps that are around uh, the Kelowna area. I am really uh, thankful to be a part of a, of a church that believes in the ministry of camping. Uh, do you realize that over the next two months... In Canada, literally thousands and thousands and thousands of children will both hear and experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other time in our yearly calendar that is as intentional or focused in terms of introducing the next generation to Jesus Christ in these two months. And it's been my experience as as I've had the opportunity to travel um, across Canada and work with various youth ministries that that I don't think there are more effective strategies right now for passing faith on to the next generation than camping ministry. And not just in terms of passing faith on, but creating an environment for the leadership development and discipleship of our next generation leaders as well. Uh, They are in intense places where they experience God working in and through them in ways that they don't experience it in any other environment that they find themselves in. So um, when we say that we're about giving uh, investing in camp ministry, oh my friends, what a, what a wise investment and thank you so much. And I, and I just, my, my heart is just so thankful to be a part of community that understands the value of what's happening. Can you imagine what the spiritual climate of our country would look like if God hadn't given the vision of camping to someone about a century ago? Can you imagine what this would look like? But God has and he continues to work and I'm so thankful for that. Hey, this morning, uh, we're going to look at Psalm 139, and uh, some have called it the the Prince of Psalms. Uh, There are a few psalms that speak more clearly uh, to the power, uh, to the knowledge, to the presence of God. And and what's really wonderful about the psalms is it isn't just some distant doctrine that we get to hear about, but we actually get to kind of step into the shoes of David, a human being, and experience and learn from him as he responds to the reality of the Father and his presence in his life. And so um, if you want to take your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm 139, and we'll be working our way through the psalm and then jumping around just a little bit, but I'll try to go slow enough that you can stay with me. Let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, I love you so much. Thank you for this time. You're so good to us, better than we even imagine or know. And uh, Lord, I ask that by uh, your grace, your Holy Spirit would um, awaken us again to your truth and your word. And Lord, that as we see you, we would be shaped by you, become more like you. And then, Father, your spirit would move us to a right response, that you would prepare our hearts to respond to you well. And, and Lord, that we would experience your way as not just right, but also very good. So I give this time to you. I thank you for it in your name. Amen. I have a friend. His name is, um, is Todd. And, and Todd is a uh, youth pastor in, in northern British Columbia. Um, my friend Russ, who has spoken here a couple of times as well, and you've heard him through the summer and will continue, we were pastoring together actually in Canmore, Alberta. Uh, I joined him right after I'd finished at Briarcrest, and then Todd joined us a year later and interned for us and then took over the youth ministry after I was finished there, uh, and then a, a couple of years later moved up north. 
well, when Todd first moved up to northern British Columbia, he, um, he was single. He's married now to a wonderful lady, and they have uh, a few kids. It's, it's great, doing very, very well. But when he first moved there, he was single. And, and you know, one of the desires of his heart was that um, he would meet somebody that could perhaps, uh, you know, turn into his wife one day. And that's a normative and good desire. And, and so I was really thankful to be able to be a part of his journey at times and hear his stories. Well, he told me this one, this one day, he'd, he'd met this young lady, her, her name was Maya, Maya was a, was, a, was a wonderful young lady, and he was fairly smitten with her, and so much that he, he didn't really quite know what to do with himself when he was around her all the time, and so one night, he was out for a walk, it was a little bit later, and as he was walking, he was going past the house that Maya was staying at, it was with her uncle and aunt, and as he's walking by uh, the, the home, uh, Maya drives into the driveway, and, um, and gets out of the car and, and sees Todd obviously walking by. And then she turns to Todd and says, hey, Todd. And uh, he goes, oh, hey, Maya. And, uh, and she's like, would you, would you like to come in for a little bit? My uncle and aunt are here. We could, you know, have coffee, have tea. Why don't, we, why don't you come and just hang out for a little bit? And I just thought, oh, wow, Todd, what a wonderful opportunity this is. Like, you have been welcomed in to spend time getting to know and even getting to know the family a little bit. This is fantastic, right? And so I just, I just thought to myself, like, this is, this is great. And then I started thinking to myself, you know, how would one respond in a moment like this, especially if one wanted you know, to get to know this person. Well, I kind of thought to myself, there's probably two right responses, correct? The first, of course, would be, awesome, I'm in. Like, that's a no-brainer. I'm just like, that's where you need to go. Cancel all other plans. Whatever you have going on, doesn't matter. Walking no longer matters. Sitting is what counts. Get in there, sit, talk, enjoy the relationship, right? Like, that's the first right response. And then I thought to myself, but, but maybe if you had something else that was really important going on, uh, there could be a second response that wouldn't be, I don't think, quite as good as the first one, but certainly would keep the door open to further opportunities for a relationship, correct? And that would simply be, you know what, Maya, thank you so much. I would love to come in and spend time with you, like honestly, but I just can't tonight. I've got a couple of things that I have to get to. Could we maybe set another time and then we could get together then? I'm thinking that's a good response. Not as good as the first, but not a bad response. Keeps the doors open. That's great. Todd did not chose either of those two responses, actually. So Todd is walking by on the road. Maya drives into the lane. Great moment. Comes out of the car, says, hey, Todd, uh, good to see you. Would you like to come in, have coffee, tea, all that? And great. And, and Todd pauses, and then he turns and looks at Maya, and he simply says, I don't know. <laughs> and then he just slowly <laughs> turns and walks away, you know? <laughs> you know, it is, it is funny how, um, how we respond to people that want to get to know us. Do you know what I mean? And I mean, we really, we want to be known. We have this tension in us where, where we desperately want to be known, but we're not sure if we want to be known. And, and it's because we long to be loved, correct? So, so because we long to be loved, we want to be known because you need to know someone in order to truly love them. But at the same time, because we want to be loved, we're we're often nervous about allowing people to get to know us, correct? Because we're afraid. What if they see something in us that they don't like or, or something that, that they don't appreciate and, and they reject us and walk away from us? Or, or maybe even worse, what if they decide that they want to control and change us and, and kind of mold us into the image that they're looking for as opposed to the image we actually are? And so it, it creates this tension for us, and often we find ourselves not quite knowing how to respond to the people that we would really want to know us and want to know us, but because of this, we, we struggle with this journey. I, I think that, 
there are some similarities in our journey with the Heavenly Father as well. We've been designed to have relationship with God. And there is a longing in our heart that, that, that longs to be filled by His presence, absolutely. But I think sometimes, you know, because we so long to be loved, we, we want to move in that direction, but also because we long to be loved, sometimes we, we tend to move away from the direction. I think sometimes we're afraid, what if God gets to know who I am? And what if he doesn't actually appreciate who I am, you know? What if, what if he rejects who I am because of the struggles and the brokenness and the mistakes that I continuously make? Or for some of us, we know we have this longing for the transcendent, absolutely, but, but we've created different patterns and habits and activities and thinking that have allowed us to kind of manage our lives. And so one of the things that we're afraid of is, is if we really step into relationship with the Father, if we really open ourselves up to Him and allow Him to get to know us, what if He wants to change us? And can we trust Him? Can we actually trust Him to, to change our realities that we have worked so hard to order so that our lives can be somewhat functional? You know, Psalms 139 speaks to this reality. It speaks to the reality that we have a God who wants to know us, but something different, not simply wants to know us, actually does know us, right? Knows us even better than anyone else possibly could know us, including ourselves. He knows us better than we know ourselves. His knowledge is infinite. This is what Psalm 139 speaks to. And then it reveals to us David's journey on how he responds to this knowledge. Let's, let's read in Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. It says this, O Lord... You have searched me and known me. Do you hear that? God has searched. He's already done the work. He absolutely knows who David is. He's he's engaged. He says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Do you understand, my friends, that we have a God who is absolutely acquainted with all our ways? He knows us. He knows what makes us tick. He knows what motivates us. He knows what, what kind of decisions we, we tend to make. Like he, he knows who we are. He goes on and says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, it's one thing to know somebody because you understand what they've done in the past. You've journeyed with them long enough that you understand their habits. So for my wife, I understand that, that when she's kind of feeling empty or she's been working hard or she's tired, if, if I want to express love to her, if I want to fill up her, her tank because I know in the past what I need to do now is I need to take her for a hike. We need to get on the mountains. If we can get on the mountains, she's just like, woo, life is good. I'm alive. That's great. I know this because once in a while I've actually tried it. You know, I got it wrong a whole bunch of times before that. I tried all sorts of things that fill up my tank. Shockingly, that did not fill up her tank, right? But when I get her into that environment, you know, I know that that's going to be good for her because I've, I've seen what she's done. God doesn't just know us because of what we've done in the past. He actually knows us because of what we're going to do in the future. He sees everything. He's not constrained by time the way we are. He is in a place where he is able to see past, present, and future all at the same time. He's not shocked or surprised, my friends. He knows us. There's, a, there's an, in, an intimacy to his knowledge. He says, you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. There is a depth of his knowledge to us. He, he, he understands thoughts. He understands motivations. Not just what we have said, but what we are going to say. He, he knows us. It is complete knowledge. And then he goes on and he says this, where shall I go from your spirit? 
Oh, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And he's, he's using a Hebrew form of, of poetry where he speaks of extremes from one end to the other end and he knows everything in between. He says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. Do you, sp- do you hear this kind, of, this kind of knowledge he's speaking of now? It's, it's a knowledge of being present, of being actively engaged in our journey. Not only does he have mental understanding of who we are, but, but he is intimately involved with who we are and what we're doing and where we are. He is present with us. Now, sometimes I think that we, when we think of God's presence, we think of, of kind of this, this gaseous substance that simply is like oxygen, the air we breathe, and it's here, right? But it's more than just simply being here. It's about individually, intimately, actively being engaged in us while we're here. Um, when my son Cole was in grade three, uh, he's always loved basketball, heavily involved in basketball. And so when I would travel, I would be gone. I'd come home and I'd want to go with him to his basketball experiences. I wanted to be present with him. I wanted to be a dad that he knew was always with him. And so I would go and watch his basketball. I'd watch his games. I'd go to his practices and watch his practices. I've got to be honest with you, grade three basketball is not that exciting to watch, okay? Difficult to become emotionally engaged in grade three basketball. But I was there. I wanted to be present. I remember this one time I'd been traveling, came home, took my son to basketball. And I was so excited just to kind of think to myself, oh, my son, One day he'll understand what a gift I have been to him because he is a father who is so present in his life. You know what I mean? How great is that? And so basketball starts and there's a few other parents in the stands. And then all of a sudden, my son dribbles up to me. I didn't actually even notice him coming. He just dribbles right up to me and he stops and he goes, hey, dad. I go, oh, yes, son. He goes, dad, you are the only parent on his iPhone right now in the whole gym. And then he just turns and dribbles away. (laughs) I was present. But I wasn't, I wasn't really present. God is always really present. He is fully engaged. He is completely aware. He is invested. I mean, listen to the, knowledge, listen to the language he says. He says, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. My friends, there is no place you are where God is not And there is no place you are where God is not leading, caring, directing. He is absolutely present. He knows us intellectually. He knows us actively. And then he goes on and he speaks to the reality that he knows us powerfully. Listen to what he says. He says, for you formed my inward parts. Did you hear that? Oh, now we're at something different. Now we have a type of knowledge that that is, is, is not is not the knowledge of proximity, it's actually the knowledge of creation, you know. We're speaking of, a, of someone who knew us even before we were and actually put us together. He says he formed our inward parts. This is our psyche. This is, this is our soul, our personality, our identity. Do you hear that? He has formed us. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Physically, he began to create and design us. 
I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Do you hear that? He's our creator, my friends. You know, we think it's quite something when someone of significance discovers us and becomes aware of us. Isn't that true? I remember I, I, uh, I, one of my professors at the school that I'm studying at right now, his name is, is Walt Mueller. He's probably the foremost youth culturalist in North America. And I remember I took a class from him back when I was in college, and, and just, just for a few days. And then I was at a national youth workers conference with about 6,000 different youth workers down in, in San Diego. And as I was walking through one of the buildings, all of a sudden I heard this, hey, Sid, Sid. And I turned, and there was Dr. Walt Mueller, and he, he called my name. And I remember just being so taken aback. Wow, you, you know me. You remember me because, because you kind of discovered me. Okay, God didn't just discover us, my friends. He created us. He put us together. There's nobody that knows us to the extent of our Father. He, he knows our inside. He knows our outside. He knows our, our, the way that we work, the way that we function. He knows the way we should function because He is our Creator. Now, sometimes when you think about someone knowing with you with, with that uh, type of intimacy, it, it can create a little bit of, uh, uh, of stress for you. It, it, it almost feels like, like someone's kind of taking up your space. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like all of a sudden they're starting to control your journey and your reality. And in fact, you know, for many of us, we live trying to filter people's understanding and knowledge of us, don't we? That's kind of what we do. We want people to see the best in us. We want to present a certain type of us that, that we would like them to understand and know. So we tend to try to create space and distance so that we have control over the type of knowledge that takes place. We used to have a young man that lived in our, in our home. He, was, he rented a room for us downstairs. And we were quite happy when he was in his room downstairs. The, the problem was is he rarely stayed in his room downstairs. And so he would just kind of find himself meandering through our home. And my wife would be working in the kitchen and she'd turn around and, whoa, there he was right there. You know, it's like we called him omnipresent guy because he just seemed to be everywhere. And, and I remember it just kind of started becoming uncomfortable. It was almost like our home wasn't our home anymore. You know, he started knowing things about us that I wasn't sure I wanted other people to know about us. You know, like sometimes... We argued, shockingly, and I'm trying to present to everyone the perfect picture of what a marriage looks like, and, and he's starting to realize there's more to it. I remember the day that Jen and I are having an, an argument or a conversation in our bedroom, and I'm in bed, and I'm a little bit frustrated, and she's not in bed and a little bit frustrated, and so our, you know, our tone is starting to rise a little bit, and suddenly it turned, and, and there's our border. In the, you know, he's in our door, standing, watching. You know, and at that point, I thought, you should no longer be in our house, right? Like that, this really needs to come to an end because, you know, my life is no longer my life. It's not my own. Ooh, it can, it, it, it can become uncomfortable when suddenly you realize that someone knows you so well that your life is no longer your own, right? You know, this, this is David, actually. When you take a look in verse 6 and you listen to his first response to his awareness of God's knowledge, 
Listen to what he says. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Now, when we first hear this in the English language, it sounds like he's excited and thankful for this type of knowledge. But if you really understand what's happening in the Hebrew, you realize there's something different taking place here. What David is actually saying is he's saying, this is overwhelming for me. It's almost too much. Literally, in the Hebrew, it says, Wonderful is this knowledge from me. It's against me. I can't take it. I'm overwhelmed by it. It's too much for me. David is realizing the presence of God and the knowledge. This is too much for me. And we know that because he goes on in verse 7 and says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? I got to get out of here. I'm losing myself. Do you understand that? When we become so aware of God's presence that suddenly we become to this point where we go, I think I'm losing myself. And we work so hard on curating our, our personalities and our, and our online profiles and, and how we function at church and we dress up and we put on our nice smiles and, we, and we, try to, you know, we try to guard what our kids say about how things are actually at home and we're so nervous because we're afraid if someone really gets to know us, it'll almost be like we're losing ourselves. And my friend, this is the reality of God. In fact, here's the truth. When it comes to God, we never had ourselves in the first place. We always belong to Him more. It's not ourselves. It's actually His. And unless we come to a place where we begin to understand that our lives are not our own, they actually belong to the Father, we will never actually come to a place where we can truly be ourselves. You see, one of our great concerns is if we allow God to come in so closely, he might begin to see things that he wants to change, transform, and remove from ourselves. And remember, these are things that we have built and created to make our lives work at least what we think are our lives. But the truth is, remember, God's our creator. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So when he begins to remove things from us, when he begins to fill space in us, We have to come to a point where we trust that those things he removes from us were never really us in the first place. And when he begins to remove these things, these fears, or these wants, or these dreams, or maybe these grudges, that that, that when he removes them from us, we actually start moving closer to who we really are, to who God originally created us to be. Remember, he formed us, he framed us. He knows us. And when we begin to understand that this God who knows us is not against us, but he is for us, man, it changes us, right? It changes us. And as we look through the psalm, we begin to see David's response begin to change. And it results in a deep level of trust expressed in a few ways. First, his trust begins to be expressed in joy because he understands that God is persevering with him. He's not leaving him. Listen to what he says in verse 14. He says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And then listen to what he says in verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Do you hear that? He says, you know me. And so I go to bed, I wake up and I'm like, whoa, you're still here. This is incredible. 
I remember when Jen and I first got married and I just thought, this is so cool. We never actually need to leave each other, right? Like we can go to bed. I remember the first night I go to bed and I wake up and I turn over. Whoa, she's still here. This is unbelievable to me. You know, how good is this? Not nearly as good as like 10 years later when I wake up and go, wow, you're still here. This is unbelievable. You know, like, <laughs> I can't believe you're still here. Like, like, I remember the time when I did one of these really um, dumb decisions where, where I decided to kind of make a decision about my employment that would somewhat affect our family. And I just happened to fail to really bring her in on the journey, you know? And then two weeks later, I get kind of this moment where I'm like, maybe you should tell your wife. That'd be okay. And so I sit down with her and I, I explain to her what's happened. And I realize, wow, you're not nearly as excited about this as I am. And the next morning, I woke up and I'm like, whoa, you're still here. Wow, this is awesome. There's never a day that we wake up and turn over and don't have the opportunity to go, wow, God, you're still here. No matter what we've done, wow, you're still here. I, you saw what I did yesterday. You know what I'm thinking today. You know me. You're, you're, really? You're still here? Oh, my friends, that should give us wonderful joy to know that the Father perseveres. He knows us and he perseveres. We should respond with joy. And it's sealed because of Christ's work on the cross, right? I don't know what God did to reveal to David that he was for him. I'm not sure. But I know what he's done for us to reveal that he's for us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross and he took our sin upon himself and he, and he placed his rightness upon us and then he rose again and he is present because he loves us. He is for us and we know, we know. He says in Romans chapter 8 that if he would not give up, if he would willingly give up his own son, how much more do you think he'll graciously give us all things, all the things that we need to be the people he has designed us to be? Why, that should thrill us. We should respond with great joy. Do you respond with joy at the presence of the Father? The second way that David responds is he responds with trust expressed in loyalty. Now, this is a bit of a difficult part of the passage. We almost have this shocking language that comes from David. We, we see his warrior heart. Listen to what he says. He says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. There is suddenly a loyalty that burns in David. Where God's ways become his ways. Where, where the injustices that offend the heart of the father deeply offend the heart of David. And he, he trusts that God's ways are not just, that they're right and they're good. And so he is with God in his kingdom. He wants to do his kingdom work. Now, now we are called to do kingdom work different than David did. In the Old Testament, God was working through the judges and the kings to mete out his justice. But now he's done that through his son on the cross, correct? He has. And our response to his enemies, while we still stand for justice and while injustice should still hurt our hearts and burn within us and there should be a passion for justice, the primary way we respond is through love and prayer for our enemies. That's how God does transforming work. And we trust the Father when he says that he will do justice and he will avenge as he sees fit but we are called to love we stand for those who can't stand for themselves but we do it in this interesting way of humility and prayer and love but strength and so his ways become our ways as we entrust ourselves to the father first we 
We trust him with joy. Second, we trust him in loyalty. And then third and finally, we trust him with vulnerability. And maybe this is the most important and perhaps the most difficult. Listen to what David says here. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, it's one thing for the Father to know us. He knows us. We don't control that. We don't control that. He knows us. But we do control how we respond to that. We do get to play a role in the level of intimacy that we get to experience in terms of relationship and knowledge with the Father. And David got that. And when he understood that God was for him, not against him, when he came to a place where he knew that he could trust the Father and that he could trust that if God wanted to remove something, that was okay because actually only God would know what he was removing and only God really knew his identity in the first place, right? He was his creator. He is our creator, my friends. And so often we're so afraid to come to the Father and say, search me, God, try me, except maybe not that part. I like that part a lot. That dream, that one's my dream, God. I got that one on lockdown. Oh, that dream over there, that gives me financial stability for a lot of years and maybe for the next generation. So I got that one. Don't you worry about that, God. I got that one. That grudge, that anger, (laughs) That person doesn't deserve anything else. I've got, you know what? I, I'm owed that, that sense of need to be vindicated. This is me, God. And yet, if we're really honest with ourselves, we know this stuff is killing our souls, don't we? Because we are actually made for the Father. We're made for the Father. And when we come to him and we say, okay, Lord, could you search me? Know my heart? Try me, know my thoughts. The actual translation is anxious thoughts, the anxieties within me. Can you take these, Lord? Could you reveal to me anything that's grievous to you, that's not of your kingdom or of your way? And could you lead me in the way of righteousness? Oh, my friends, when we come that way, we are transformed. We actually begin to become who we were really meant to be. We've been created by the Father, but our sin has marred us. Our identity is marred because of our sin. But through the cross, Christ comes and he recreates us. This is his work. He is the recreator. He says in Corinthians that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, and he continues to renew us. He says in Philippians that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion, but that work only happens as we come to the Father and we become vulnerable and we simply come and say, search me, God. I trust that you know me better than I know myself. Search me. And when you reveal something in me that shouldn't be there anymore, by your grace, open my hands, release my grip, and may I experience your spirit filling me. Hey, are there areas of your life this weekend that you need the spirit to fill? That you've been filling with something else? Dream, a vision, a fear, a relationship? That you know isn't of the kingdom and not of the king. And then... In light of that, you know it's actually not of you because you were made in the image of the king. 
Would you be willing to come to a place and just say, Father, could you search me? Could you know me? And as you reveal that to me, I will do whatever it takes to lead, to head to the path of righteousness. Whatever you want, I'm in. He knows you already. He knows you better than you know yourself. He is present with you. He's not abandoning you. He is intimately invested in you. Not because you're great, because he's great. This is the king. He has come and he is here. And all you have to do is we just need to daily just surrender. Oh man, isn't it interesting how simple that sounds? (laughs) And how hard it actually is to experience. And so maybe for some of us, like me, the prayer is simply, Lord, could you give me a desire to be vulnerable, a desire to allow you to search me? Could you please do that? Maybe that's a good starting point for us today. You know, I think it's so wonderful that this morning we take communion. And it says, actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul is speaking of communion, he says that before we take, we should, we should search ourselves. Maybe this morning before we take, we should ask the Father to search us. And just ask him to reveal if there's anything that needs to be confessed and repented of. And because he's here, because he's present, because he's invested, because of his work on the cross and his resurrection, he begins that work now. And he begins now to lead us in the path of righteousness, the path of life, the path that we were originally designed for. This is our Father. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for this time. You are amazing. And I pray, God, that you would make us a people with a disposition that would come to you and willingly invite you to search us. But God, we won't do that if we don't have a right vision of who you are. So Lord, renew our vision. Help us to know that you are the God who knows us, that you are the God who is present with us, that you are the God who has created us. You are the God who is for us. Help us to know that. Remind us over and over again of your incredible work on the cross through your son, Jesus Christ. There is no place where you have more clearly expressed your love for us. May that fill our minds and our hearts and may that motivate and move us to a place of vulnerability before you. I love you, Father, in your holy and precious name. Amen.